Merry Christmas to everyone. I don't know about you guys, I absolutely love Christmas and all the things that come with it. Um, it to, to me, I know that there are people that you can, you know, they, they miss the, the season for all the stuff, right? It's like sometimes, you know, the, the old saying goes, I, I can't see the forest for the trees, but sometimes that, that, can, that can be Christmas. You miss Christmas because of all the, of all the stuff. But for me, there was, a, there was a, a, a shift in my life many years ago when all the stuff shifted and it all started pointing to Jesus. When I, like all the lights, and it's not cheesy, but all the lights, they remind me that Jesus is the light of the world. When I see beautiful houses decorated and, and trees and the lights in here, that's what it reminds me of. And the gifts that we give and receive and we exchange, they, it reminds me that Jesus is the best gift giver ever. Amen. That there is no better gift giver than God. That every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights, it says in James, in who there is no shifting, there's no turning, there's no shadow. I absolutely love Christmas. Last week I started sharing with you about the season that I feel that we are in prophetically as a church and how I felt led to John chapter 15 where the Holy Spirit started highlighting some things to me from that passage specifically, and this is where, really where we landed and, 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 and focused our, our time last week, was specifically on verses 1 and 2. And in verse 2 where it says, the reward of fruitfulness in your life is pruning. See, when we are faithful and we are obedient to Jesus, which is the fruit that Jesus is talking about, that's what he's looking for in our lives, that we are faithful and that we are obedient, then he rewards us by cutting back things in our lives that have no eternal value so that we can be even more fruitful and we can step into all that he has planned for us. So I believe that we are in a season of pruning as a church and as individuals as a reward for our faithfulness and as a reward for our obedience. Now it's important that we recognize the season that we're in so that we can respond appropriately to what God is doing. See, if, if I know that I'm in a pruning season, then I can lean into the cutting away of these things in my life that don't have eternal value instead of trying to hold on to them. Because remember, pruning is not discipline. It's not the same. Discipline happens when we've got areas of sin in our lives where we're running contrary to God and contrary to the Word of God. But pruning is a reward for our faithfulness and for our obedience. So when God prunes things out of our lives, these, thing, these things that he's cutting back, they might not necessarily be bad. They might not necessarily be wrong, but they're the things that, that pull our attention away, that distract us from his presence. And so if I don't recognize that I'm in a season of pruning, then I might try and hold on to these things that are not bad because I'm looking at them and I'm like, man, these are not bad things. And I, I might struggle and wrestle with the Holy Spirit and try to hold on to them when he simply is trying to reward me and to prepare me for greater fruitfulness, for greater faithfulness, for greater obedience. I don't want to fail to recognize the season that I'm in and hold on to the things that God is trying to relieve my life of. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 15. We're going to pick up in verse number 3. and We'll probably, we'll probably get to about verse 8. So verse number 3, John 15 says, You are already clean 
because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, if, if when we when we read through John 15 from ver really the, the, the passage kind of goes from verse 1 to verse 11. And this, this verse 3 kind of seems like it sticks out out of nowhere. Like it's just this sore thumb that sticks out because it doesn't really seem like it flows with, with the rest of the passage because out of nowhere Jesus is now talking about them being clean. And not before this, he's never said anything about that. But really what he's doing, he's making a reference back to verse number 2 where he said this, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit he takes away. Now I talked last week about how that, that takes away is, is, is probably not the best translation of what Jesus is communicating, but it's probably better translated that he lifts up. Every branch in him that does not bear fruit, he lifts up. So I want you to picture in your mind, Jesus is with his disciples and he's, he's talking to them, he's teaching them this. But they're not in a classroom. They're not in an auditorium like this. They're actually walking through a vineyard. See, this passage takes place after that upper room experience where Jesus and the disciples, they, they share that one last meal together and they break bread and he, he gives them the, the you know, the, the, um, uh, the communion. He shares communion with them and he washes their feet and then they leave that place and they're walking. So they're walking through a vineyard and Jesus begins talking to them saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. And then as he's, as he's sharing this with him, he looks down and he sees this, this branch from the, from the vine that's growing along the ground. And it's all covered in dirt. And Jesus, as he's talking, as he's explaining this to them and teaching the disciples, he looks down and he sees this branch. And he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, because when the branch grows along the ground, it's not going to bear any grapes because it's covered in dirt and it needs to be lifted up. So he bends down and he carefully lifts the branch up. And he connects it to another one, maybe wraps it around another one, and he begins to clean it off. He cleans the dirt and the dust and the grime off of it. And, and so he's saying, every branch in me that's not bearing fruit, I, I lift up. And then he says, but you, already, you are already clean. See, he's cleaning that branch off. But he says, but you're already clean for the word that I have spoken to you. See, when you're already growing in the right direction and you've already been cleaned by the word, that's why he's saying you've already been cleaned because he's looking at this branch and it's growing in the wrong direction along the ground and it needs to be lifted up and cleaned off. The, the, the term, the, the Greek term that's translated here as word is actually logos. That's the, that's the Greek word. And logos refers to the, to the very word of God. It's the scripture. It's the Bible. It's that, it's that which you hold in your hand or you have on your phone. It's, the, it's that word of God. And the word of God washes over us. And it cleanses us. And it purifies us. See, Paul also wrote of this in, in, in the book of Ephesians. He says that Jesus gave up his life for her, and he's speaking of the church, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Every one of us needs to be cleansed from our mistakes. We need to be cleansed from our sin. We need to be washed. We need to be transformed to no longer think like or act like or look like the world because we are not part of the world. We are in the world but not of the world. And people are influenced by the thoughts and the cares and the ways of the world which actually run opposite. They run counter to the, the kingdom of God. 
the ways of Jesus. And it's the word of God that sets us straight. It's the word of God that aligns us with God's ways. And it teaches us what is good. It teaches us what is evil. It teaches us what is moral and what is right, what is righteousness. See, apart from the word of God, we don't know what is good and we don't know what is evil. Because we can't rely on culture and we can't rely on the people around us because culture is always moving the target of what is good and what is evil and what is moral. If you look today, there's literally things today in our culture that are being called good where 30, 40 years ago those things were called evil. And things that were called, that were called good are now being called evil because culture has moved the target of morality. They've moved the target of what is good and what is evil. And so we can't rely on the culture, we can't rely on each other to tell us what's good or what's evil or what's right and what's wrong because it's always shifting. And it's so easy to slide away from the standard of Scripture if we are not allowing the Word of God to continue to wash over us on a regular, daily basis. See, without the Word in our lives, we resort to what sounds good, what feels good, what seems right, or, or what makes people happy, what makes people feel included. It's the Word of God that trains us in righteousness. It's the Word of God is what shows us what's acceptable in the eyes of Jesus. I want you to go to the next slide. And then go one more. What color is that? White. The square is white. Okay? The square is white. Now go one more slide. It was gray. It was actually off-white. See, that's, that's what the scripture does for us. See, that, that first square, you look at it, you're like, well, yeah, that's clearly, that's a white square. Right? But then when you put something up that's true white, that's really white beside it, you're like, oh, that wasn't actually white. That's what the scripture does for our lives. We hold the scripture up to our lives and it shows us where we're deficient. It shows us where we've got it wrong, where, 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 where I'm not moral, where I'm not righteous. See, apart from the scripture, I don't know because I can just, well, honestly, what we, this, this, is, this is what we resort to. I compare myself. Well, I compare myself with, with that guy down the street and I'm like, well, I don't do things as bad as that guy, so I must be good. Right? But that's not the, that guy is not the standard. The scripture is the standard. And so when I hold the scripture up to my life, I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, I'm missing it. I'm not living right. That word logos is also used in John chapter 1. John chapter 1 and verse 1 where John writes, in the beginning was the word, the logos. And the word was with God and the word was was God. See, John 1.1 1, 1 is referring to Jesus. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the, the Logos of God. Jesus is God. And spending time in the Word is spending time with Jesus because Jesus is the Word. And He has come to cleanse us. He has come to make us righteous. He's come to make us holy and spotless before the Father. You want to know how? It is that, that some people look like they've got more fruit in their lives. How some people just seem to be able to be more faithful and more obedient. They're, they're not always tripping up. They're not always falling down. But, but you look at them and you're like, man, they're, they're really tracking with God. They're really, they're really tracking with Jesus. Do you want to know how, how that is? They spend time with Jesus. Like it's, it's not complicated. 
I think we like to overcomplicate things because as we get older, right, we like complex things. It's got to be, it's got to be difficult. It's got to be multiple layers and facets and all this stuff. But don't ever, we can't ever forget that Jesus says we have to become like a child. See, following Jesus is not complicated. I'm not saying it's easy, but it's definitely not complicated. The life of a follower of Jesus is many things, but complicated is not one of them. Spend time with Jesus. Verses 4 through 6, Jesus goes on and and he, he says this. He says, remain in me and I in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine. So neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like a branch and dries up and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. See, we grow fruit in our lives by abiding in Jesus, by being with Jesus. That word word abide in the original language means to stay, to stay as as one, right? Like like, like in a marriage, right? The two become one. That's the the abiding. It's It's to not depart See, not only can branches not bear fruit without being connected to the vine, but the branch cannot survive all on its own. When it cuts off, it will eventually wither and die and dry up. See, this is the life of a follower of Jesus, abiding, staying connected to, continuously being one with Jesus. It's making all of our our life choices, our decisions, our thoughts to make sure that that we are always and forever one with Christ. In Acts chapter 4, there's this story of Peter and John who just healed a crippled man who who was sitting at the gate beautiful. And they healed this crippled man who'd been there his his whole life and then they were arrested and they were thrown in jail. And so they spent the night in prison. And in the the morning, they're brought out before the religious leaders and they they begin to question them. How did you heal this man? How did you do this? And so there's this discussion, this dialogue that takes place and and Peter really launches into this this great sermon. And in verse 4 it says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and realized that they were unschooled and ordinary men, they marveled and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. See, being with Jesus is the difference maker. It's not how smart you are. It's not how involved you are. It's it's not how much money you give. It's not how many Sundays in a row that you attended. It's not how many times that you showed up to volunteer and help with, with all this stuff. It's not those things. But have you been with Jesus? See, it's really, in in the scripture, in that verse, it's really this this backhanded kind of compliment. Because it says that the religious leaders noticed they, they were just ordinary dudes. They were just, they had no education. They were unschooled. They didn't have religious training. They were just, Peter and John were just fishermen. They were just regular guys. They were blue-collar guys. But they had been with Jesus. See, they knew their history. They knew who they were. But they had been with Jesus. Being with Jesus makes all the difference. People can tell when you have been with Jesus. See, fruit, 
fruit in our lives that doesn't grow by effort. The branch, you know, when, when you, so we don't get our, unless you have a, a grapevine, but most of us go to the grocery store and we get, our, we get our grapes and they come in these little, you know, bags or, or plastic packages and you open them up. Sometimes you open them up and you, like, you reach in, you pull it up and the, and the little cluster of grapes is so packed in there. Like it's just solid and it, like it's one cluster fills up the whole thing and it's like a couple pounds, you pick it up. You know the branches that have those clusters that are just packed and they, 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 have, they have the most fruit, they have the most grapes. Do you know what they didn't do? They didn't work harder. That branch didn't work harder than all the other branches to grow those great grapes. It wasn't because it, 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 it had more effort. It wasn't because it did special things. It was just connected to the vine. See, we don't produce the fruit of faithfulness and the fruit of obedience by trying harder, by striving, by working more, by serving more. But it's by being and staying connected to Jesus. That's how we grow that fruit of faithfulness and obedience. You want to finish your life well? You want to get to the end of your life and finish strong? Cross that finish line, take your first breath in heaven, and you, you did it. You made it. You ran the marathon. You ran the race. You fought the good fight. You want to make it? Stay connected to Jesus. Be with Jesus. See, I think it's when we stop being with Jesus, we stop being connected to him, that we start to go off the rails. And we might not realize it at first. Maybe it's just a, maybe it's just a degree off. And you're like, nah, it's just, it's just a little bit. It's, you know, that, that little bit, that's, that's called a compromise. And that, that little bit here in 10 years is over here. And one day you wake up and you're like, I don't know, how did I get here? This is never where I wanted to be with my life. How did I get here? It's because you made that one degree shift. And you stopped being with Jesus. It's submitting to him. It's living with him and for him. See, it's, it's this Jesus is my life. It's not that he's a part of my life. Jesus is life. Now abiding is more than just being with Jesus. Abiding also includes doing. Because we've been called to accomplish things. We've been called to, to do stuff. Following Jesus actually looks like something. It's not just being with him. Abiding in Jesus is not just about proximity to him, but it's also about productivity. And when we overfocus on either one of those, we overfocus on productivity or we overfocus on proximity, then we, we've got it wrong. You can't overfocus on those things. See, if we overfocus on proximity, then what we're doing is we're not being good stewards of what God has given us in our lives. Right? Jesus tells the story of the, of, 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 of the talents, right? He tells this parable of the talents where, where servants are given, they're each given different amounts and then their master goes away on a long journey and they are to, to, they are to bring increase to what their master gave them. And then after a long time, he comes back and he calls them to account and he says, what did you do with what I gave you? 
right? And two of them brought increase, and one of them comes back, and he, he unwraps it from this little cloth. He's, still, he's got the money right there, and he goes, I, I was afraid that I was going to lose it. I knew that you were a hard man, and, and I, I, I buried it in the ground. But see, I didn't lose it. Here, I just, here it is. I'm, I'm, getting, I'm giving it back to you. This is what you gave me. And in the story, Jesus says the master calls him a wicked and lazy servant. See, Jesus expects us to do something with what he gave us. And what was it that he gave us? Himself. He gave us life. He set us free from sin. Now, what are we going to do with that? Like, yes, it's important. Like, I talked last week, that story about Mary and Martha, where Jesus came to their house and Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. That's important. I'm not belittling that. But we can't just every day, all day, sit at the feet of Jesus. It's like we've been called to do stuff. And if we just sit at the feet of Jesus, we're not bringing increase. We're not being good stewards with what it was that he's given us. We have to hold proximity and productivity. If this is proximity and this is productivity, we have to hold them in proper tension. Because we can't go too far one way or too far the other way. We are saved and follow Jesus for a purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says, We have become his poetry, his recreated people that will fulfill the destiny that he has given each of us. For we are joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned and advanced our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill it. We are joined to Jesus to do good works. We are to move towards accomplishing the destiny that God has planted and buried deep inside your life. Your destiny and your purpose were determined in the heart of God before you were ever born. And it's our lifelong mission to discover that destiny and to walk it out. To be who God's called us to be and to do the things that God has called us to do. Because he has things for each one of us to do. Following Jesus is more than going to church on Sunday. It's living with him. It's living for him in every moment of every day. It's discovering your destiny. It's pursuing it. And when we do that, it changes how you live. It changes how you think. It changes how you talk. It changes how you make decisions. And it actually changes the decisions that you make. All the doing in our lives flows out of our connection with him. See, productivity comes from proximity to Jesus. Because he said, apart from me, in verse 5, you can do nothing. Now listen. Jesus isn't literally saying that you can do nothing. Because obviously if you, right, you look around the world, there are lots of people that are not following Jesus and they're doing things. And sometimes we look at them and we're like, wow, look at that thing. Look at how amazing that is. But it's apart from Jesus. So he's not saying like literally you, can, you are not physically able to do anything apart from me. But what he is saying is you are not able to do anything of eternal lasting value apart from me. See, this is productivity without proximity. When we do a lot of stuff, but we're not connected to Jesus, we can be productive apart from him. But all those things that we do apart from him, in the end, they amount to nothing. They have no eternal value to them. 
Because the things that we do outside of our connection in connection and relationship with Jesus are not eternal. They do not last. There is coming a day when we will stand before him and he will apply fire to our lives. And if we have built on the foundation, which is Jesus, Paul talks about this in Corinthians, if we build on the foundation, which is Jesus, and we build with, we can build with precious metals and stones, or we can build with wood, hay, and stubble. And when the fire is set to our lives, if we build with wood, hay, and stubble, it's all going to be burnt up. And all the things that we did with our lives, it's going to amount to nothing. And this doesn't have anything to do with salvation because Paul goes on to say that that you will escape as one passing through the fire. Everything in your life burnt up. You make it. You're in heaven, but you've got no reward because you didn't build things with Jesus that were lasting and eternal. But if you build with precious metal and stones and jewels, then when the fire touches your life, then it's still standing. And then you are welcomed into the kingdom and he has reward for you. See, your reward is based on what you do with Jesus in this life. It's not salvation. It's your reward in eternity. We don't often talk about this because it feels a little bit uncomfortable to think that God rewards us for the things that we do. But it's very scriptural. That we are held accountable for what we do. And when we do a lot of things apart from Jesus, it's wood, hay, and stubble. And it will be burnt up. But it's in abiding with Jesus that we partner with him in the earth. It's maintaining our connection, our oneness with him that ensures that what we do now counts in eternity. Not abiding is the conscious choice and decision to separate yourself and walk away from Jesus. See, the vine cannot force the branch to stay connected. Jesus does not force us to remain in relationship with him. We do not believe once saved, always saved. We do not believe that the Bible teaches this. Sin, though, does not separate you from Jesus. Struggling with temptation does not remove you from the vine. Failing and falling down does not cut you off. See, what separates you from the vine is this conscious choice and decision to reject Jesus and to turn and to walk away from him, not wanting anything to do with him any longer. That's what separates you from the vine. So I don't want you to think like, oh man, like I was in a, I was in a tough spot and I lied to get out of the spot. You know, I got pulled over by the police and they said, you know, how fast were you going? I was an like, officer. I was seriously, I was only going 65, you know, and... It's not the sin that separates us. It's the rejecting of Jesus that separates us. It's not struggling with temptation. It's not making a bad choice or a bad decision in your life. Those things don't exclude you from Jesus. But it's choosing in your heart and saying, you know what, I'm I'm done. I've done enough of this. And I'm walking away. Rejecting Jesus cuts you off. But it's not by his choice. It's by your choice. It's by my choice. See, we must continuously abide in Jesus if we are going to see fruit in our lives. If we are going to fulfill our purpose. As individuals and as a church, we have to continually abide with Jesus. Verse 7 is, is, is this wild 
this, verse 7 is a wild verse. If we, if, we, if we grasp it, we understand what Jesus is actually saying. He says, if you abide in me, okay, if you stay connected to me, oneness, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. That phrase here that we read, my words, is different than what we talked about before. This is not logos like we talked about before where Jesus said, you are already clean because of my word which I have spoken to you. This is a different word. This, this word is, is called, it's the rhema word. That's the Greek term. It's rhema, which means, it literally means this which is or has been uttered by the living voice. This is the spoken right now word. This is a living word that the Holy Spirit speaks to you in your life in a moment. This is a prophetic word that gets released to you just at the right time. This is when you, when you sit with your Bible and you're reading it through. And, and you know like how many people have had this experience? You're reading something through and it's like something hits you. I've read it a hundred times but suddenly it, it like jumps off the page and it's now alive. See when that happens and it jumps off the page it's like it's... Literally, Jesus just sat down and started talking to you from the scripture, right? There's, it's different. We can read through scripture, and this is the logos, but, but in that moment, he spoke to you about something that you needed in that moment. That's the rhema word. This is that sense or that feeling that we get inside that Jesus is talking to me, that God is saying something to me. That's the, that's the rhema word. Or it's, or it's having a conversation with, with somebody, and, and in that conversation, suddenly they say something that just hits differently. And it's not that offensive thing, but it's, that, it's like the presence of God just rested on what that person said. And it, man, that was different. That wasn't just them. Or it's sitting, in a, it's sitting here like this, listening to someone preach the word, someone deliver a sermon. And all of a sudden, something gets said and you're like, whoa, that hit me. That was that was. That was just for me. I can't tell you how many times I've spoken a message, I've preached a word, and then when I came down afterwards, someone came to me and said, Pastor, that was just for me. That's a rhema word. Everything that Jesus is talking about in this passage comes back to relationship. He wants to be our very life source, not just something that we add into our lives. See, abiding, abiding in Him is, is intimate relationship. And in this relationship, we must not only be, be washed with the Word, but we also have to hear His Word in a moment, in a specific time. In John 10, 27, Jesus says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. We, we must be able to hear, to understand, and to distinguish when Jesus is speaking to us. It's the voice of our shepherd. We have to be able to understand what he's saying so that we can stay in step with him and not wander off so that he can give us direction in a moment, in that stressful situation where you're like, I don't know what to do. He can give you that rhema word. And so then you know what to do. It's staying in step with him. It's not getting off track in life. It's we know him. And he knows us. This only comes out of relationship. Right? Jesus said, I know them. They follow me. 
I want Jesus to say that about me. I know him. I know her. She listens to me. He listens to me. My sheep know my voice. They follow me. See, when we abide in Jesus and his right now word in that moment, and those words abide in us, then he says, then Jesus says, you can ask me whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Like, this is astounding that we can ask whatever we want from Jesus and it will be done. He doesn't say sometimes it will be done, maybe it will be done, we're hit and miss, we're, we're, sweet, like I, we're striking out sometimes, we're, we're hitting home runs another time. He says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, we have yet to step into this place of ask me whatever you wish and it will be done for you on a consistent basis. But this is the goal. This is the target. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus, you know, Jesus never taught what to do with unanswered prayer. Because he didn't have any unanswered prayers. I don't, I don't believe that, that we're supposed to know what to do with unanswered prayers because we shouldn't have any un unanswered prayers. There's this place of relationship with Jesus. There's this place of, of relationship with the Father where we are so in tune, where we are so, so one with him. That we are asked, the things that we're asking for are the things that he's desiring, his heart. And what we're doing is we're partnering with him in prayer. Ask me whatever you wish and it will be done for you. It will be done. It's really, it's it like, it's, you translate it from one language to another language. And I know we've got some, some Spanish-speaking uh, friends here. And, and it's, some things get lost in translation. This is one of those lost in translation things. Because we say it will be done, it's a phrase, but that's one, that's actually just one word. And that word means to come into existence or come to pass. So this is what Jesus is saying. That when you ask, I will give it to you. And if it's not there to give, then I will create it for you. It's not just giving, him, giving you things or making things happen, but if you need a door open and there's no door there, he says, I will create the door for you. If it doesn't exist yet, I will create it for you. Because we are one. I abide in you. You abide in me. My words abide in you. And I will create things for you. So out of relationship, we partner with Jesus in prayer and we ask him for the salvation of friends. We ask him for the salvation of family members and co-workers. And he begins to work on our behalf because we're partnering with him. We, we, we pray for finances and we pray for, for breakthroughs. We pray for healings. We pray for open doors. We pray for deliverance. We pray for revival in our city. We're partnering with him in prayer. And if it's not there, then he'll create it for us. See, when we know Jesus and he knows us, there's access available to us in partnership with him where whatever we ask for in prayer is given. We cannot build a theology on what didn't happen when we prayed. That's very dangerous. Well, I prayed for this person to be healed and they weren't healed, so now my theology says God doesn't heal. We go back to the Bible. The Bible is our standard. The Bible tells us what's possible. The Bible shows us. Jesus says, I am able to heal. And he also says, I'm willing to heal. Do we build a theology when our prayers aren't answered? 
just to help us make us really it makes us feel better instead of driving us deeper into relationship deeper into the word to seek Jesus Jesus what what was wrong there what what happened there because this I know the breakdown is not on his end it's on my end there's something here that's not right there's something here that's not right and that's why we're not seeing the answers to our prayers so instead of building a theology on what didn't happen, we dive back into the word. We press into Jesus in prayer. We seek him, God. Jesus, why, didn't, why wasn't that person healed? Why didn't we see the breakthrough? We are in a season of pruning, which is his reward for us for being faithful and obedient. It's that fruitfulness, and he's rewarding us and this is where the pruning of the Father is leading us to. It's that place of intimate relationship with Jesus. The pruning has purpose. And that purpose is intimacy with Christ. Verse 8, and I'll close with this. Verse 8 says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. See, we bring praise and glory to God by being faithful and obedient, by bearing fruit in our lives. We prove, we demonstrate that, that we are his disciples, that we belong to him by being faithful and obedient, by bearing fruit in our lives. And that fruit in our lives comes from that intimate abiding relationship with Jesus. Our season of pruning is the reward of faithful obedience. And it's leading us to new depths, new depths of relationship with Jesus. Family, there is more. Whatever you've experienced with the Lord, however long you've walked with him, there is more. We will never experience it all we will never come to the end of God there is more the pruning is leading us to more let's stand this morning Ryan I didn't ask you before but could you come and just strum on the guitar a little bit thanks man I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. I just want Holy Spirit to just speak to you, rest on you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would stir up in us a hunger for more, a desire to go deeper with you, to be more intimate with you, to foster that oneness with you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would break complacency off our lives where we're just satisfied with my life with Jesus. I pray that there would 
be birthed in us today, this holy dissatisfaction where we are, are, are so hungry. We are like a starving man, like a starving woman that, that finally gets something to eat and we're just ravenous pursuing the presence of Jesus. Where there's nothing that I will not give. There's nothing I will not lay down. All of me for all of him. I pray that you would birth in us that hunger. That you would spark in us a fire that cannot be extinguished. That cannot be put out but completely, totally consumes. For your word tells us that our God is an all-consuming fire. You are jealous for us. Your word also says that your name is jealous and you are jealous for us. If you're hungry for more and you're not satisfied in your life with your relationship with Jesus, you're like, man, there's more I want to encounter, I want to experience, I want to know Him. I want to meet with Him. And I'm going to ask you to come and just kind of fill this space here and just spend some time this morning just seeking Him, crying out to Him, Jesus, I want to know You, I want more, I want to experience more. We'll come along, we'll We'll lay hands on you and we'll, we'll believe together for an encounter with his presence that will change you, that will shape you, that will mark you and transform you for the rest of your life. See, when we encounter Jesus, when we encounter the presence of God, it's not to give us these warm fuzzies so that we feel good about ourselves. We have to remember back to the, to the story where Jacob is wrestling with God in the desert. He's wrestling with him and Jacob grabs hold of him and he says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And in that moment, he changes his name from Jacob, which means deceiver and liar. And he changes his name to Israel. And then it says that he touched his hip, and his hip came out of the socket. And for the rest of his life, he walked with a limp and with a cane. See, the encounter with Jesus will mark your life so that you are never the same again. So if you're here at the front, I just... I want you to seek him, to cry out for him, whatever that looks like for you. This is between you and him. This is you asking for everything that he's got for your life. We're waiting on you, Holy Spirit. We're waiting on you, Jesus. For I believe that this is a rhema word moment. I believe in this moment that, that, that there are people here that are about to encounter your presence and will be changed forever, transformed, marked, and wrecked by your presence, wrecked for the ordinary. Jesus, walk through this place, touch these people. In Jesus' name. We say yes to you, Jesus. 
We say yes to you, Jesus. We say yes. We want more. Hungry for more. I'm desperate for more of you. To encounter you. To see your face. To look into your eyes. Burning with flames of fire. So we spent some time just praying and seeking here, here at the front. If, if you haven't responded, I just want, I want to bless you and let you know we'll close the service out. Enjoy your week. We'll see you again on Sunday.